When I first started uh, being interested in, um, in dating Becky, my mom told me, and I've, I've told the story a couple times, how she's cutting my hair, and she said, son, if you want to date Becky, you need to get your life in order, and then if she will date you, you need to marry her as soon as possible before she wakes up. Um, and so I had some things, some rough edges, let's say, in my life that needed a little bit of smoothing by the Holy Spirit before uh, approaching Becky and letting her know that I was interested in her. And so um, by the time we'd known each other, we'd been on a mission trip together, by the time I went to express my interest in dating her, uh, in my mind, it was already a done deal. I mean, it's like I've been praying about this for like a year and a half, you know. I have peace from the Holy Spirit that this is going to work out. And, um, and so and when I asked her to date me, I said... Uh, Becky, I want to let you know that I've been really, uh, I've been praying about this, and I'm really interested in pursuing a relationship with you, and I'd love to date you for the purpose of one day marrying you. And it was like she went, <gasps> you know, like, like, whoa, hang on, slow down there, buddy. Um, and then when I asked permission from her dad, I said I'd like to, to date her and one day marry her. And his, and his response, if you know my father-in-law, who was an old-time evangelist, was one bridge at a time, son, one bridge at a time. Um, and I, I use that illustration to say that When we talk about this concept of this uh, plurality of pastors leading the church, this is an area in which I have been really living for the past four years or so. Um, This is the the research topic and area in in which I pursued in my dissertation for seminary. This was something that we've been talking about for several years. And so one of the reasons why I'm doing these question answer times is so I don't miss something that I need to cover. We were in uh, studying through a passage with, with the deacons. We were about three months into this discussion, and I could tell that there was a little bit of misunderstanding and different things about what the whole concept was. And I ended up saying, I don't remember what it was, just something. And everybody went, oh, I wish you would have told us that like two months ago or, or something like that. And, and, and it was my oversight of not starting from the very beginning and, and, and being very careful to answer every question that you might have in your mind so you can fully even understand um, what's, what we're talking about. You ever been to the doctor and they explain your problem and you have no clue what they just said? Or they're like, oh, your problem is that you have this issue with your spleen. And you're like, oh, well, where's my spleen? Well, it's in your lower thorax. Well, I didn't know that I had a thorax. So can you please explain to me where my thing, you know, and and you have to go through all this. And so my goal is I don't want to make that same mistake here. So we're going to be going through different questions and answering those questions and, and, and having an open question answer time once we get to that point, hopefully when, when the majority of your questions are answered, and even some concerns of saying, hey, here's some things that I've thought about. What do you think about this concern and things of that nature in the future? And so um, to start this out, what I'd like to do is I read you the, um, the, the statement from Rob with the deacons this morning. I'd like to give each one of our pastors an opportunity to come up and just give a brief, brief statement about what they've learned or what stuck out to them through this process. Um, and then actually, Pastor Brent really wanted to be a part of this as well. So he actually recorded a short video just explaining to you his heart as well. And so we're going to do that kind of at the beginning, and then I'll launch right into these questions. So I think Matt's going to start, and then Sean will come up, and then uh, Ben will, uh, will back clean up, and then we'll have Brent on the video. As, as we've been working through and thinking about this for uh, quite some time, as Pastor Joe mentioned, um, I was kind of thinking through some of the 
advantages of, of having a uh, multiplicity or plurality of, of pastors. And I wanted to just share some of my, my thoughts with you on this. Um, I'm excited about it and um, welcome any questions, as Pastor Joe's mentioned, already uh, got some questions uh, this morning uh, by, by a few of you, and, and that's great. Happy to, uh, to, to help us all understand um, as, as we move forward here. But I think I, I just made a list of a few um, advantages of having a team of, of leaders. And um, uh, at the top of my list is biblical accountability. Um, as, as we have a group of men, a group of us uh, pastors that are uh, leading and um, shepherding the church together, uh, we can we can keep each other accountable. Uh, there's not uh, any one person um, making a decision um, just kind of on their own. Uh, we're we're all uh, kind of humbly submitting ourselves uh, to each other to to keep each other accountable to work together that way. Um, another advantage is is there's wisdom in Proverbs eleven fourteen and also Proverbs twenty four six. Uh, the the Proverbs talk about uh, in an abundance of counselors, there's safety. In an abundance of counselors, there's victory. And, um, and so there's wisdom in having um, a group of, of people lead. Um, another advantage, balance. Uh, I think um, we all, as we've been working together uh, over the last uh, year or so, and, and even uh, longer, last several years, um, we all have different gifts and abilities, different um, uh, things that God, strengths that God's given us, and um, and, and kind of working together, uh, even complementing each other's strengths. I think um, we we would see a healthy church and and be able to lead a healthy church that way. Um, and then uh, I think as Pastor Joe mentioned, uh, burden sharing, caring for the entire church um, for just one person uh, can be a uh, a burden that's um, that may even be impossible to to bear and. Um, and so as, as we work together to care for the flock and, and care for the church, um, we can kind of share that burden and share those responsibilities. And that was the one that kind of really, um, if I had to pick one advantage over the rest, I think sharing responsibilities would be, uh, be one that, uh, that I think is, is, is at the top of my list, just um, the opportunity to take pressure off uh, of each other and um, and help spread out the responsibilities that way. Um, and as, as we've seen already this morning in scripture, um, it's always uh, elders, uh, several pastors, um, uh, more than one pastor at these churches. Um, and, uh, and so those are just, again, a few of my thoughts there as, as we've been working through some of the, the highlights that have stood out to me. And again, um, welcome any questions any questions, but um, I'm excited to see um, how God's going to use, um, use maybe this transition to, uh, to grow his church, uh, continue to, to help our church here. Okay, well, um, as Pastor Joe mentioned as well, th- this has been a journey for me personally for about three, four years as well. Uh, I didn't do a dissertation on it, Um, don't plan to, but um, I had the privilege of um, being part of a different church before this one in which we were considering this transition as well, and God had uh, already been working in my heart about uh, the possibility of something like this in the next church we joined up with, and even over the past year, it's been 
a sweet delight to grow with the other men in that room and have conversations and learning opportunities um, and, and examine the scriptures and also examine how it's being played out in other like-minded churches and men who've been pursuing this. And uh, it, it really has been a joy to watch our hearts be knit together and to see the burden for this uh, proposed change grow in the heart of our men as well, these deacons, and even in our pastors. So um, I, that I, over this last year, I've come to realize how slow things uh, should be, and that it takes a lot of humility, and uh, God has been working in, in our hearts as well. Uh, a couple things, I, I don't want to double dip too much, but I, I wrote a couple um, benefits that I have um, seen as potential uh, benefits as this change would come. Um, it would allow for the strengths and the giftings of each pastor, both paid and unpaid, to flourish. Um, that has been very obvious over this last year, that we're all gifted very differently, but that is God's kindness, actually, to us and to this body, that there is, uh, in the multiple pastors, there are multiple gift sets, and that they are to be used in different ways. And the result of that is the overall spiritual health of the body to be developed in a greater way, uh, in which more leadership, more opportunities to um, speak into people's lives in a spiritual way will help develop uh, the body as a whole. Um, and as we look forward, uh, I, I, some of the things we've heard and even things that we've read about is that um, some of the signs or one of the signs of a healthy growing church is that in this process, eventually, as we look forward, um, the church is going to call, train, and bring men out from its own body to uh, ask it to lead, as you heard Pastor Joe mention this morning. And uh, that the thought of that is truly exciting, that uh, we would be able to be training up men in our church to lead us and to um, partner with us in word-centered ministry. So my prayer is that our we would not waste a year plus of investment and growth into this, but that we would continue to develop our vision and convictions and ministry goals solely based in Scripture, that uh, we would not veer far at all from that. Uh, my belief is that as we continue to pursue plurality as a model for our church, um, the benefits that we would see would be, would be wonderful and that it would serve as a great protection for us moving forward. And of course, as always, our desire is that God would be glorified in the outcome of the study that we're going through and this potential change as well. In consideration of this topic, I just have a couple of thoughts that I'd like to bring out that are based on a couple of things that Pastor Joe mentioned this morning in his message. The first being his comment that a change to a plurality of pastors in the model of leading the church spiritually wouldn't result in something like him not preaching every Sunday morning. He would continue to preach every Sunday morning precisely because it's an area where God has gifted him in a significant way. And so he would continue to take primary oversight of that ministry. And with that understanding that a plurality of pastors does not negate 
individual ministry oversight, we actually see one of the greatest strengths of the plurality of pastors because with every individual pastor, as a member of an equal body, they're able to give themselves to that particular ministry of oversight with a maximum amount of commitment or ownership. Let me give you an example. Um, I work primarily in the church ministry side of things here, overseeing things like youth group or uh, the order and flow of Sunday morning worship. And one of the reasons that I can take ownership and give myself very fully to these ministries is because the church and staff are allowing me to work in the areas in which I believe God has gifted me significantly. So I'm able to give myself to pursuing the most amount of excellence that I can because I'm not just putting on a program that uh, the CEO has dictated to me, if that makes sense. So I'm not merely running the youth activities that I'm told to run, nor am I just teaching the lessons that I'm told to teach, but rather as a pastor at the church, I'm able to set the youth philosophy and determine the direction of training the teenagers in our church in conjunction with the ministry of the school and in conjunction with what they're hearing and learning on Sunday mornings. And it allows me to do so in a way that maximizes the ways that I'm gifted rather than trying to do youth ministry in a way that, for instance, Pastor Joe would be gifted to do youth ministry. I'm able to do it in the way that I'm best gifted to do it in a plurality of pastors. And so it allows with individual ministries within the church, the greatest amount of personal ownership and commitment and excellence within that model, while also providing the safety net of making those decisions within a group so that I'm never an island to myself with the youth group. I'm never an island to myself with Sunday morning, but it's always happening in conversation with the total group of pastors. And so I think that's one of the major benefits from this model on a practical level is the fact that it maximizes everybody's individual gifts while still providing the safety of a multitude of counselors. And so I think the biblical theological aspect that Pastor Joe brought out was foundational, and then practically it works itself out in some significant ways through those those thoughts. Hello, Community Baptist Church family. I just want to say how thankful I am and how glad I am to see Community Baptist Church taking this very, very important biblical step of moving our church polity towards a biblical model of the plurality of elders and pastoral leadership. I am absolutely confident that the model that we are pursuing is not only biblical, but that it is actually, practically speaking, best for our church, and that we are going to receive so much help and so much blessing as we follow God's pattern that he has laid out for us in the New Testament of church polity. So I know for many of you, change is a little challenging, and there's going to be questions that you are going to have, and we certainly welcome that. I want you to know that if I can help you personally and you have questions, things that you would like to talk about, please don't hesitate to give me a call. It would be my privilege to talk to you about these things. You can call other pastors as well. But I want to encourage you to listen carefully, to think biblically, 
and to allow the Lord to use this in your life to help you to not only grow in Christ, but to as we come together as a church body to bring unity and to help our church body function in a more biblical way so that our church might bring glory to Jesus Christ as we endeavor to serve him. You know we love you, we are praying for you, and I trust that you will follow Christ as you follow the leadership of our church as we pursue this pattern of church leadership. I think what you've heard from uh, our leadership is a common, uh, a common goal, moving towards a common direction. And so there's no doubt that there are questions in your mind as we talk through all of this, okay? So what I'd like to do now is to launch into some very practical questions, some practical, some um, not as many theological. I think we dealt with that a little bit, uh, this, or a lot of it this morning. I know I was talking fast, and I was, I was like a freight train going through the New Testament. And so um, many of you have asked for those, for those notes, and I'd be happy to give them to you. I will tell you this, my mind does not retain information. I need every ounce of it to just think. And so uh, if you would like that, if you could please call the office or email me, I will get that to you. But if you, if we passed by in the hallway this morning and you were like, hey, can you send me your notes? It's not going to happen, okay? Uh, I would love for it to, but I just can't remember stuff like that. And so uh, if you don't mind emailing me, then I would love to get that to you. Um, and, and hopefully that'll be a blessing to you. The first question that we need to ask is a question that people come up with a lot when we talk about this concept of plurality, specifically when it's called plurality of elders. And that is, is this in alignment with our Baptist heritage? Um, elders are commonly used, the, the term elder is commonly used in, uh, in uh, other denominations as well. Uh, we, we've chosen to use the term pastor again because I believe that the term pastor best um, explains the heart of shepherding. Uh, you can refer to it as elders, overseers, pastors, shepherds, how, however you want to. But is, is this model in alignment with our Baptist heritage? And what I'd like to do is just give you a very brief history overview of Baptists and how this actually is recovering the Baptist polity until um, the early 1900s. And that leads us to another question, which we'll get to next. But John Smith was the first Baptist, born in England, 1609. He uh, wrote articles about the Baptist faith, and he said that the, the first Baptist, John Smith, said that the uh, Baptist churches should be led by overseers and led by elders and served by deacons. Their elders at that time, they, they called them overseers. These overseers were not paid. They were poor Englishmen trying to lead um, Baptist churches that were seeking to be biblical at that time. Uh, John Smith, as the first recorded Baptist that we have, uh, actually baptized himself after conversion later became convicted about that, and so he went over to the Anabaptist church, which did not believe in original sin and had some doctrinal issues, and asked them to baptize him, and thus he was excommunicated from his own church. Um, but because they had a plurality of elders, they had other overseers at that time, they called them, other pastors who were able to continue on with that other church. And, uh, and the church continued to grow and continued to exist because it was not based on any one person. I think that's a really interesting part of, of our Baptist history there. Uh, Thomas Hellwis, or Hellwise, or if you want to say that, 1611. Um, also, an Article 20 of the Declaration of Faith reads the following. 
Um, the offices of every church or congregation should be elders and deacons, both plural, just like you see it in the New Testament. Um, later English Baptists and the London Baptist Confession of Faith later on in the 1600s. Uh, if you'd like to read it, it's actually a great, uh, it's a great confession of faith for Baptists written in the 1600s. 1688 was the second London Baptist Confession of Faith, which says the church consists of officers and members. Just like we said this morning, the offices are elders and deacons. And so that's 1688 London Baptist Confession of Faith. Um, there's a professor of Baptist history who's done a lot of work on Charles Spurgeon as well in England. Charles Spurgeon was a huge proponent of the plurality of pastors and the plurality of deacons. He taught that every church should have a body, and obviously it was referred to at that time in the 1800s, a body of elders. His church had 26 elders, 26 lay pastors elected by the congregation, uh, unpaid pastors, and then also a series and a, and a, uh, a group of deacons as well. In his membership classes, he taught that uh, these lay pastors were the ones who taught the catechism classes, oversaw the Bible studies, and as well as visited the sick members. So I think it's interesting when you look back in the 1800s that you see that as well. So what about Americans? Did we change when it came to America? Well, Roger Williams was the first American Baptist. The Baptist churches that he was a part of and that were around Roger Williams, um, due to his influence, practice a plurality of elders. The First Baptist Church of Boston um, had a plurality of lay pastors. The Philadelphia Association adopted the London Baptist Confession of Faith in the 1600s and uh, what led to the First Great Awakening in the 1700s through the Philadelphia Association expanded Baptist churches through the colonies, and every single one of them had a group of pastors. Sometimes one of them was paid. Everyone was so poor at that time, they couldn't pay their pastors. Sometimes they give them food to help them not have to work so hard during the week to give themselves to study of the word, but uh, all of the group of pastors that were in those churches were all unpaid. Uh, Benjamin Griffith in the late 1600s in America um, he recognized that one pastor is the first one to really push that one pastor should be the primary teacher of God's word, but he also uh, referenced in his teachings that uh, there was a plurality of, uh, of pastors who were also needed in order to serve the congregation, and then we could go on and on in, in the 1800s. William Johnson was the first pastor of a Baptist church in South Carolina, um, which later grew into the Saluda Baptist Convention, which later grew into the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, he taught that all Baptist churches should be served by and led by a group of pastors. And so really until we exit the 1800s, it was the only model seen for Baptist leadership, uh, both in England and America. And so when we, when we come to that conclusion, when you study Baptist history, you have to ask the question, which is the next question that you should be asking, if this is biblical and is aligned with Baptist heritage, why don't I see this around me more? For some of you, this may be the first time that you're even hearing of this type of leadership. For others, and I've talked to many of you, you're like, oh man, I was a, church, I was a part of a church that had this in the past, and it was such a blessing. And so for some of you, you are very aware of the way that this can be such a blessing to congregations. Maybe for others of you, community is the only church you've ever known or the only churches that you've known are community and maybe a couple others in this area who are, who are like-minded. 
It's interesting. Um, I actually was talking to another pastor in this area who pastors a Baptist church, and he referenced that they were um, looking at pursuing, like off the cuff, we, we were having lunch, and he just said, yeah, we're going to this model because I saw that so-and-so had this model, and they were flourishing, and we've really been struggling with some things he was talking about at his church. Then I had uh, lunch with another uh, Baptist pastor in the area who currently is involved in a plurality model, and, uh, and he said it's the best thing their church has ever done. Their, their church body is being, is being served and led better than he could have ever experienced. And so the question that we need to ask is why wasn't Community Baptist planted with this in mind? And we don't know. None of us were there, but we can take some guesses. And why don't we see this around us more in like-minded churches? There are perhaps many contributing factors that would lead us to the answer to this, and uh, I'd like to give you what I would see as the main two contributing factors of why we see in Baptist history, leaving the 1800s into the early 1900s, why we see this model becoming less and less in Baptist circles. The first reason would be because of the affluence of of the post-Civil War Industrial Revolution and what that brought to America was lots of money. And because lots of money came to America and churches became much more affluent, they were able to pay their pastors and they were able to hire more pastors. And so when inevitably, when you pay pastors, there's a concept that, well, he's the real pastor because he's paid. These other guys are kind of just second rate. And so when, if we need somebody, we'll just hire someone. And so you see the hiring of a senior pastor, the hiring of an associate pastor, the hiring of youth pastors as, uh, as, as we continue on in the early 1900s. But there are consequences of affluence. Um, church ministry became a professional ministry. There's a very, very um, famous sermon preached by John Piper in pastoral circles that he gave probably about 20 years ago. And the title of his sermon at a pastor's conference was, Gentlemen, We Are Not Professionals. And the whole purpose behind his sermon was to say, move out of a business mindset and get back to loving people and studying the word. And, um, and, and, and in, in essence, in the past 20 and 30 years, that may have been one of the catalysts to drive people back to this concept of, listen, we don't hire professional Christians to get up and do their professional thing as we show up at a business meeting. It's one of the reasons why we renamed our business meetings members' meetings. And, uh, and so the, the hiring of pastors led towards a, a professionalism and, um, and, and excellence is not bad. I'm not saying an excellence, but a mindset that, oh, we don't do that. We hire professionals for that. We don't need to worry about theology. We hire professionals for that. We don't need to worry about Bible study. We hire professionals for that. Another, probably the most, in, in, my, in my reading of Baptist, Baptist history, in my studying, probably the most um, impactful thing that happened in history was the Industrial Revolution. Here's, here's basically, if, if, if I'm looking at it, how I can simplify it for you. Post-Civil War, late 1800s, small business boom, turns into big business enterprises. You have the first CEO in 1917 who then does a CEO board model 
businesses are booming and at that same time you have the the first church growth events with you know you've got telephone and you've got you've got radio that then then goes into TV where all of a sudden influence of one person starts to take off and then you have these Christian personalities and these rise of Christian personalities who in essence rather than becoming a serving loving elder pastor of a church turn into these bigger than life um, personalities that impact Christianity that become bigger than human and so I want you and, and, and it's not all negative right all of a sudden the gospel is going to all these areas but the local church starts to think of themselves more of just a local congregation with loving people shepherding and guiding us in accomplishing the Great Commission. You've got people like Billy Graham who all of a sudden is speaking to tens of thousands of people. And because of that, you have these pastors who become well-known and it goes to their head. And then you, you have this model where all of a sudden you have this, uh, this, this pastor who thinks that he can't be limited just to one church, but because lots of people like to hear his preaching he, rather than becoming a shepherd of one local congregation, becomes a traveling preaching machine calling himself a pastor like J. Frank Norris, who was a great preacher. He was a Texas fundamentalist who pastored in, in the 1930s all the way to the 1950s, but he pastored a church in Texas and a, and a church in Michigan at the same time. He would fly back and forth because he was this bigger-than-life personality, and a church in Detroit and a church in Texas wanted him to be their pastor at the same time, and his thought is, well, with today's technology, why can't I just have both, you know? Or um, you've got people like Harold Ockengay, who pastored in Boston and also was the president of Fuller Seminary in California, because... With the rise of business and the CEO, all of a sudden you have the pastor assuming that role. You have the CEO pastor mentality. And then with the boom of business, then you have, well, if our pastor is ahead of our church, our churches need to be, get bigger and better because more people equals God's blessing, which is not true. If we wanted to simply fill this building with people and see that as God's blessing, this building could be full in a matter of weeks if we were to simply change our methods, right? But that's not what we've been called to do. That if God chooses to bring numbers, then so be it. But if not, then so be it. Because we're going to be faithful to the word and teach the scripture and be faithful to the Bible. And so with this boom and this church growth movement, you end up with these Christian personalities, and then you end up with saying, well, I want my pastor to be like that pastor. Maybe if we can just get that guy here to our church, our church will take off. And it's all personality-centered. And so you have this empire-building mentality with some people and with some churches thinking, man, we need to make a splash nationally. So much so that you would have pastors in the 40s, 50s, and 60s who as a badge of honor would say, we're the fastest growing church in America. We're the, we have the biggest Sunday school programs and all this stuff. Which, if it's happening as, as something like, a re, like, like, like an, Ameri an awakening or a revival attributed to the Spirit would, is amazing. But if we start manipulating tactics in order to grow and saying maybe if we can just get the right person in here to be the head guy that everybody wants to follow then we'll get big and so we see that start impacting churches across america especially in baptist environments because 
as a Baptist minister, you don't have to be ordained by any oversight committee that, that is some sort of tiered system like you would in the Presbyterian church. You don't have to be, you don't have to have your stamp of approval and go through the process. Anybody can be the pastor of a Baptist church. And so you have these, uh, the rise of these personalities who have great competence, but little character. And so what is the result? Let's just play this out for a minute. What would be the result of a uh, when I say charismatic, I don't mean in, in, a, in a theological sense, but a charismatic, outgoing, motivational speaker who can draw immense crowds and be lifted up as the guy when he has little character. What would you expect to be the result of that? Wouldn't we expect embezzlement, infidelity, and scandal to take a hold of those churches? And so isn't that what we have seen and so we have to be careful. We, we, we don't want the culture to dictate how we or, organize our church. I read a phrase that I loved, and that is, we need a humble indigenous shepherd model. And that is that the ministry of our pastors needs to be to the ministry of our church. As God gives opportunity outside of community, we talk among our pastors and we limit those. We're, we're very blessed to be, to be a part of a ministry in which the guys on our pastoral staff are, are gifted in their specific ways in an incredible way. And so likewise, they want, people want them to invest in their lives. And we limit those because this is our ministry, a local indigenous shepherded church here. Community Baptist Church does not need to be known on the national stage so we're not, we can fly under the radar, right? And just spread the gospel here to the best of our ability. And so I believe those are the main contributing factors, affluence and the Industrial Revolution. Um, have we been doing it wrong? No, we have not been doing it wrong. Community Baptist Church has a history of multiple pastors Doing it wrong would be saying, oh, community doesn't need a pastor. We're okay with just deacons, or we don't need deacons. We're okay with just one pastor, or uh, there's nothing that community has been doing wrong. But I think, it would be, um, I think it would be accurate to say that there is a way that we can build on the past, and we can build a future. If I told someone this morning, if the Lord would tarry for the next 200 years, which if he does... I can't imagine what that would be like, but then again, every generation has said that. Um, so if the Lord tarries in 200 years, the question is, what best sets up Community Baptist Church for our great-grandchildren to be in a healthy church environment? And I believe that this model would be to do that, to build on the past. And I want to really end here. Why do we need to change? I want to give you 12 reasons in four minutes. Um, some of them we already talked about. And I want to lean into one of them. The Bible prescribes a plurality of qualified leadership in local church. Local church is best benefited by serving deacons and leading pastors. When deacons try to be pastors and pastors try to be deacons, everybody loses. The local church is led better by pastors with a diversity of gifts. You do not want me running every aspect of our ministry. I, I'm not gifted in that way. 
um, we would end up with a lopsided ministry. Men qualified as elders in the local church have an opportunity to maximize their spiritual gifting. The local church is not put in a position of vulnerability during pastoral transition. We'll actually come back to a couple of these in, um, in future weeks because I think they're worth leaning into. I want to get to one specifically, which I think will help you this evening. Um, it's four and five. I'm going to mark these to come back to. Um, Greater biblical wisdom is available to a church through multiple leaders. We heard that referenced with our pastoral staff. The blessings and failures of local church not right on one man's shoulders. I'm going to park on this for just a minute. And I'm going to, we're going to stop here and come back and pick up here next time. I'm going to have a little bit of a shepherding moment here, okay? I'm going to pull back a little bit of vulnerability for you. It wasn't always clear that Community Baptist Church was going to make it. Um, I'm an eternal optimist. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. But I, I think everything's going to be great and everybody's going to be wonderful all the time. And my wife is the realist, which really helps me put, keep my feet on the ground sometimes. All the time. Um, when, I, when I came to Community, I was convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was going to bless and that everything was going to be okay. There's actually a point in our ministry where we did not know that. And I want, to, I, want to, well, I want to bring you into a conversation that happened behind closed doors with our deacons and with our treasurer at one point. Is there was a point in our ministry where Chris and his financial um, forecasts, we were going to run out of money. The... Um, the attendance was going down. The giving was going down. I mean, for the first four years, we lost people and, we lost, and, and our giving went down. And, um, and we got to a point where we said, okay, if this continues on this trajectory, we're going to be out of money in 12 months. Like our bank account was at negative $2. And that's pretty scary, isn't it? And uh, we were losing people in school because we had, done, we had chosen to take a stand on a couple biblical things and people got upset. And so they started leaving. And, um, and we had a meeting as to whether or not we're going to close the school down because I told our leadership we are not called to give a private education to South Bend. God has called us to make disciples, and if we cannot accomplish that with our school, we will not have a school. We got together, and we had a very difficult meeting, and we laid out all the finances. Some of the men in this room were in that meeting. They remember it well. We laid out all the finances, and... Um, and we didn't know what to do. And we needed to invest $200,000 into the school in order to keep the doors open for one more year to see what God would do. Because we were not going to change, we were not going to not do what was right. We just had to decide if we were going to keep, put the money in the school. And I'll never forget, I'm sitting at the head of the table and here are all these godly men who have... And men, I mean, the, the business experience and the, the Christian character at that table was incredible. And, and we got to a point that said, okay, what are we going to do? And I'm sitting there, and every single head turned and looked at me. And I had this panic moment where I thought, all of this rides on my shoulders. And if it succeeds... Everybody will be so happy. 
and everybody will think, man, Pastor Joe did a really good job, didn't he? And if it doesn't, I made the wrong decision. And I came home, and I had a little bit of an emotional breakdown because the weight of the ministry descended on me. And I know I'm being really vulnerable with you guys tonight, okay? And I'm not looking for pity. That was years ago. But I tell you that because I think there are, there are moments in a shepherding ministry that the congregation, and we do this on a Sunday night for a reason, that the membership that you guys need to know. And, um, and it was one of the, I told my wife, I said, God may have brought us here to close these doors. We will not manipulate, we will not do what's wrong in order to try to change this outcome. And, um, and it took... It took some time for me to process through that. It took several weeks um, for me to kind of process through those emotions. And it was in that time when I made a very clear decision in my mind that I would do everything in my power to not ever let that happen again. Not just to me, but to anybody. Nobody needs to be put in that, that place. And the truth is, we had godly men who were willing to give input and they did and willing to bring wisdom to the table and the decision that we made was because of their wisdom but what I'm telling you is that it was my decision to make as the pastor and the head of the church and and for some of you have asked the question which is a right question and is a good question to ask what what really changes and for for you in the pew, not much may change. For some of you, there may be a position that's elevated to deacon. For others, it may be from stepping out from a ruling deacon mindset into a serving deacon. For some of you, you may say, I've been attending community for three years, and two years down the road, you look back and you go, they made this change and nothing really changed. But on the, on the burden side of the ministry, it goes from one decision like that to welcoming in a group decision of both men that you've currently called to lead you spiritually and those men in the congregation who are gifted as pastors to say let's hit our knees and let's make this decision together because we've been asked to make it together and so as the ministry is is being blessed so that blessing cannot be hung on any one person because that is so dangerous, isn't it? So dangerous. And the failures of a ministry, the wrong decisions that have been made and will be made in the future because nobody's perfect, that those, those decisions can't be hung around any one person as well. There is some, there's a very real um, aspect of ministry called pastoral burnout where um, something like a third of pastors quit during COVID. Why? Because nobody could make a right decision in COVID. 
And there were churches that were split wide open and half the people hated him and half the people loved him. And everybody expected the one guy to make the decision to be an expert on virology and to be an expert on governance and to know everything about everything. And I believe that the best model for community is for us to recognize and choose men within our congregation who are gifted with the word and who have character that you know and you've seen tested out. And that those, that group of men, those men, should be the ones that you trust to lead you spiritually and to, to recommend spiritual courses of action to teach the word and to make these decisions. And so if I can be very vulnerable, that's a, a moment of vulnerability that may help you understand why I'm so passionate about this and why I would love to see the men who are charactered and competent in our ministry, leading our ministry in this way. Let's pray. And um, I, have, I have others that we can come back to next Sunday evening or as the Lord allows in Sunday evening services. Again, we're not going to speed through this. We're going to slowly go through and answer these questions. And then as you have questions, please feel free to come to us and we'd love to answer them. So let's pray. God, we love you and are so thankful for um, Community Baptist Church. We're so thankful for your word. And we pray that as we consider this, that you would give great wisdom. And that if this is not the direction that you would have us go, that you would just make that clear as well. But I pray that if this is the decision that is to be made to be pursued, that you would give our church membership, the understanding and the biblical conviction to make that decision as we own this together. We leave all of this in your hands, knowing that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we pray in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.